Welcome, everyone, to Los Libertinos podcast. I am your host, Carlos Abelard, and this is Chingazos and Fire episode number 20. Our guest today is Joshua Childress. He is a veteran of the Iraq-Afghanistan wars. He was also a former U.S. Border Patrol agent that resigned in protest, so he is no longer part of La Migra. He is a family man. He's married, has twin boys. He is also written for the Daily Beast, Cato, and the Libertarian Institute. He is also a, uh, an inspiring author that is working on self-publishing a book of poems and short stories. Uh, personally, I've interacted with him uh, on a weekly basis, probably for at least a year or, for, uh, or during, uh, during COVID um, through, the, through uh, Renegade University and uh, uh, more recently through the, the men's group that they have there. Um, as being part of the unregistered underground. So uh, uh, to me, he's been kind of like an online uh, homie that I, I've been interacting with, and it's kind of cool to uh, uh, get him on the show. Uh, uh, welcome, Josh. Hey, thanks for having me, Carlos, man. It's a pleasure. Cool, man. Awesome. Um, so, yeah, um, could you kind of uh, give a rundown of your background? Uh, a lot of people, um, uh, my family, my friends, uh, you know, they might not know uh, some of your background, but they, I think they might find it interesting because, uh, you know, we usually don't talk to La Migra, you know, unless you have to because they're because uh, they're coming for your primos or something. But uh, I was going to say, yeah, if, <laughs> if, if they come for you, man, don't talk to them. Don't answer any questions. That's your best bet. So uh, um, can you kind of give a rundown of your like uh, your born, raised family, siblings and your education? And um, yeah, just some of that stuff just so they can kind of know what's up. So uh, I'm a middle child. I have one older brother and one younger brother. Um, born in Colorado, raised. We moved around a lot. I mean, mostly in Colorado, a little bit in New Mexico, but we we moved a lot just due to, you know, they, my parents never found that right place. And when they did find the right place, the work dried up. And so we just, I mean, you know, there was years where we lived in like, a, a 27 foot RV that we pulled behind our Jeep. Like we were very nomadic. It was, it was a nomadic childhood. I guess I could say that. Uh, I ended up going to the same high school for all four years. My parents really wanted to to give me that experience at least. Um, so I ended up in this tiny little town, like no, no stoplights closest Walmart's two hours away. Um, and that's, so that's where I went to high school. Um, and it was, it was actually really cool. Like small town, everybody knows everybody. There's, there's, pros and cons of that. Um, but it, it was, it was a really kind of a cool, and I, I look back with a lot of uh, fondness to that experience, you know, growing up in that kind of, you know, middle of nowhere uh, upbringing. Uh, so I, that, that's where I got into sports. Um, I, I started playing sports in high school, football, wrestling, uh, basketball, and man, I started looking around and they're just, the nice thing of, of being secluded like that is like, it's very safe. Like there's not a lot of like dangerous things going on. So usually if you get hurt, you just fucked up really bad. Like you do, you did it to yourself. Um, the bad part is not a lot of opportunity. So I looked around and I was like, what everybody else was doing. I didn't want anything to do with it because it was either like wrapped up in drugs, working dead end jobs, uh, just, just seemed like this monotonous cycle and it was very closed in. And I just, I, I kind of have always like had big visions for, for my life and, and just the world in general. So I, you know, we were poor as hell, like really like people, I know people say dirt poor, like we were pretty fucking poor. Um, so the army recruiter said like, yeah, dude, we'll give you job training and, you know, a paycheck. And I said, all right, sign me up. So straight out of high school, like five days after I graduated, I was on a plane to South Carolina and did basic training, all that stuff. Damn, right off fast. You didn't yeah. miss around, dude. Yeah. I think, I think deep down, like I knew myself and if I, if I gave myself the slightest opportunity to like not do it, I would have. I, and in fact, I wanted to, I, I really like, I tried when, when that day came to fly out, I looked for every, you know, luckily the internet wasn't around or I, I probably would have found a way to get out of it. Um, but I went and did it, did my four years, went to Iraq. Um, 
got out for a few years, worked construction for a while, um, and then went back and joined the National Guard because the the our local unit was going to Afghanistan, and I hadn't been to Afghanistan, so I thought, "Fuck it, let's go see, let's go see what that's all about." Um, so then, in, yeah, so two thousand seven, two thousand eight, I went to uh, Afghanistan for a year, um, got out or got back, um, went to college. Well, I, I worked for a little bit, went back to college full time, um, and that that was kind of like the big transition in my life I guess because I was you know I had a bunch of irons and a bunch of different fires and I didn't know what the fuck I wanted to do um but you know at that point my trajectory was um so my time in Afghanistan I thought that the mission was kind of stupid but I thought that was just because I was in the National Guard I was like well you know they give the Green Berets all the good stuff so I want to go be a Green Beret so when I was in college I was in the pipeline trying to get my, my slot for, to train or to, to try out, you know, it's, it's a selection course and they either take you and you can continue training, which is like two years of hell, or they just tell you to go away. So I was in the pipeline to start my tryouts. And then I'd also applied to the border patrol. Border patrol said, Hey, we're offering you a job. So I had to make this decision between the two. Um, and it 100% came down to like, well, if I go to the border patrol and I don't like it, I can just quit and walk away. And then I can go back and get my tryout for special forces later. Or if I just want to go back to college, I can do that. But like, were you, uh, sing- were you single at this time or did you already have like, like, you know, because, you know, sometimes girls keep you home, you know, like just cause sometimes, or, or, or you were still. So I was dating oh, okay. the, the woman I'm married to now. Um, okay. Uh, she and I started dating uh, as soon as I got back from Afghanistan. We'd known each other before that, but we started dating as soon as I got back from Afghanistan, and we haven't we haven't separated since. Um. So yeah, I mean, it was just it was a pragmatic decision to join the Border Patrol. It wasn't like you know I had this. I mean, I was a pretty conservative guy. I listened to a lot of you know right wing talk radio, and that was that was how I was raised: Christian, conservative not like ridiculously patriotic. They didn't get annoying about it, but I mean, they, they, you know, they loved America, all that, all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. So you were in the, in the border patrol and like, I, like I had mentioned in the, in the, in the intro, uh, we have our connections uh, via like a renegade university and the unregistered podcast. And, um, for anybody that's interested, I'm going to put in the show notes, uh, Thad Russell, uh, he interviewed you uh, several years ago, and um, that's where I first uh, 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 got uh, to know about you. And, um, you know, and listening to your conversation there and and others that you've had on other with other uh, uh, shows, um, is it fair to say that a gay porn star and a female prostitute were the ones that finally opened your mental borders to kind of uh be like hey and just everything just started flowing from that a little bit easier i guess yeah that was uh you do your homework carlos it's one of the reasons i like your show um but yeah yeah that was like that was kind of the breaking point so i'd 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 actually i'd heard of thaddeus russell uh, I took a couple of history classes in college before I, you know, before any of this, like 2011 or something like that. No, even before that. Anyways, my history professor had read Renegade History and assigned chapters from that book um, to, to for you know, for reading for class. And I just thought it was such an interesting take on history that I'd never heard. So I went out and bought the book. It was years before I actually read the whole thing. Uh, it sat on the shelf for a long time. Um, but when I did finally get, get around to reading it, I was like, man, this is mind blowing. Just kind of the, the difference between what I was taught throughout school and that. Um, so yeah, whenever, whenever I, uh, I think I heard him on Rogan. And so then I just kept looking to see if he'd been on any other podcasts and finally found that he started his own. So I started listening to it and I, I heard Maggie McNeil. I think she was the first one. And I was just like, 
I don't care what some prostitute has to say. Like, fine, if she wants to be a prostitute, I don't care. But, like, I don't care what she has to say. And so I skipped that one. And Connor Habib, I'm like, what? what's a gay porn star going to have to say that I will care about? Like, you know, I'm a married dude with kids. Like, why, why do... So I just skipped those episodes. But then, like several episodes in I started it started bugging me that I was like well what the hell what's my problem that I just can't even listen to what they have to say so I went back and listened to them and like Maggie McNeil's just sharp and doesn't take any shit and you know some people have some disagreements with her but like she knows where she stands uh, and she was making a lot of freaking sense to me uh, and then same thing with Connor, like Connor's a, you know, got a master's degree, but he's just got all these interests that are all over the board. Um, some of them have to, having to do with like, uh, you know, the spiritual world and stuff like that, which is, is, is something that's fascinating to me. So, I mean, there was just all this stuff that had I stuck to the labels that people have attached to them, I would have never heard all this interesting stuff that they had to say. So that kind of shook me up that I'm like, well, what the hell else in this world am I missing out on just because I'm like judging it by the label uh, ascribed to it? Yeah. So it was, I mean, that's why I phrased the question that it was like, uh, there are mental borders, you know, you had them up yourself within your, in your own mind, right? Like, Hey, these labels, you know, constrained you to like a certain box of uh, at least them. And once you, you, you just checked yourself and you didn't, you know, it bugged you, you opened, you opened them up and, uh, and can you kind of go into how then that started the process of like your own, I guess, I don't even want to say like self-reflection or self-reflecting on different ideas that you wanted to also check what was, what you might've been, I don't know, misinformed or through propaganda or different things, like your whole process of, of how that went mentally with you. I mean, so I, like I said, I was raised pretty conservative. Um, you know, I stopped going to church a long time ago. I, I don't, I don't have anything against it per se. Like I, I, I Jesus is uh, one of my favorite figures in history. Like his message is, is in my opinion, it's, it's been bastardized by the church, but that's a completely other conversation. Um, but all along the way, I kind of had this idea that, well, so when I was in the army, I came home for a visit once and I told my dad that I was a left winger. I was a lefty. I was being rebellious and I was a punk rocker and I was learning all this new stuff. And so he and I, he, he didn't tell me I was wrong. He didn't tell me, you know, that I was stupid or anything like that. We just sit down and had a conversation and he's like, you know, I, from the sounds of it, I think you might be a libertarian, not a left winger. I was like, so I, you know, entertain the idea. And this is like 2000, 2001, maybe. Um, so I kind of carried the label for a while after I'd done a little bit of reading and, 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 you know, listening to music, you know, punk rock music has a, a huge libertarian streak to it. Um, but I did just kind of tend to gravitate back towards, cause like my first uh, introduction to politics was AM talk radio with my dad when I was, you know, in middle school. So that was really all I knew of politics. And so that's what I gravitated back towards. And, and they kind of, you know, that was around the tea party times and like they parroted all of the, uh, the small government and, and personal choice and freedom stuff that, that Republicans pretend to care about. Um, and so I thought, well, cool. I can be libertarian, but still kind of lean conservative and, and traditional and all that stuff. But I guess, you know, hearing, hearing these fascinating people that live these completely, you know, antithetical to conservatism lifestyles, it just made me think like, well, who the fuck am I to tell these people that they should or shouldn't live their life in this way? Like it affects me none, absolutely none for Connor Habib to get paid probably pretty good money to have sex with dudes on camera. Like if I could make money doing something I loved like that, you know, just, it's just so unfortunate that I didn't, <laughs> I wasn't born liking to have sex with dudes. <laughs> But if I did, shit, I would probably be getting paid to have it to do it on, <laughs> on camera right now. Like that would what's a better fucking way to make money? Um, so, yeah, it just kind of like. I don't know, man, I, I can't really put a finger on one thing or another. It was just like 
when you realize that kind of the foundation where you base everything or how you make your decisions isn't stable ground anymore, well, you have to kind of do some exploration. Or I did. I, you don't have, and you know, I'm sure plenty of people come to realizations and then they just ignore them because they don't like what, how they make them feel or think or whatever. But like, for me, I just, that's not, you know, I kind of have this idea that I learned things for a reason. And so if I learn something and it shakes me up, I want to explore why. Yeah. And um, uh, then after that kind of, uh, I guess, fork in the road or, or major fork in the road, like what was the mental process of like, okay, like now I'm thinking about maybe uh, quitting or, or like, do you start talking to your family? Do you start, is it something just that you're, that you're dealing with uh, just by yourself as you're like debating what to do or, or is it about timing? Like, like what, what, what was that process? Because, because uh, I don't know if it's a thing that people have done since you've done it. Cause you might have a name on the streets in, in the, in, in the immigration people, do is it you know i'm saying like is there you know maybe somebody that listens to this episode might be like think they might be on the fence like what was the mental process or like how did all that stuff where you got to that point to do it you know so i mean when i started that job i mean the academy kind of sucked and the academy does not give you any realistic expectation of what the job's going to be like but once i hit the ground and started actually like doing the job i fucking loved it it was the coolest thing I'd ever like all the excitement of like all the shit that I did overseas that I thought was kind of fun, but I get to go home every night and like, it's not that dangerous. Nobody really gets shot. Like if anything, there's maybe a little bit of like a scuffle and that those always get squashed pretty quick. So there's like level of excitement, you know, and there's the chase, like you're chasing real human live people, criminals, bad guys, you're going out and getting them. You're keeping the fucking streets safe. That's exciting, man. I loved it. I thought it was so much fun. Um, and looking back, I can kind of see this, but at the time I didn't fucking make the connection at all. But like, I loved the job. And then after a few years being in, it was like, I loved the chase, but the apprehension wasn't as exciting anymore. Cause the apprehension, you come face to face with the guy and you're like, well, you don't look like a criminal. <laughs> you don't look like a bad guy. You look like the guy that I used to work construction with or like, you know, it, so it was like, I went from loving the job to loving the chase, but not the apprehension. And then, you know, in the last few years, it was like, I even started dreading the chase. The only time I, you know, if, if the chase ended up being like some dude that's like, you know, got a murder rap sheet or like a, you know, a long, which those, you know, we find those guys. It's not like that's unheard of, but it's not the majority either. Um, the majority of people that we caught were not hardened criminals in any sense of the word. Um, so it was, that was kind of the progression. Like I love the job. I love parts of the job. And then like there towards the end, it was probably the last year and a half to two years where I was like, pretty sure I'd made a mistake in, in becoming a border patrol agent, uh, but not sure. And then, you know, about a year and a half or two years of trying to figure out how the fuck I'm going to get out of that. Cause like moved to Yuma, bought a house, started a family, all that stuff based on, I was planning on retiring from this organization. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of the progression. It was, uh, Probably a couple of years of each, a couple of years of loving the job, a couple of years of loving parts of it, and a couple of years of like, what the fuck have I done? And how did uh, how did it go down when you finally? Who was the first person you told? Like, who did you tell? And then you and then you make these moves, and I guess you go to your higher ups, or well, I don't know if you have like, I don't know how it is when you tell your your partners or something like that, or they're like, hey man, I'm gonna do this or that. I mean, I don't know how it go. How does it go down? Uh so like that last year and a half or so. Um, I mostly just talked a lot of shit. Like I love the dudes that I worked with, the the men and women I worked with, you know, they, that's the hard part about all this is like, I like those people. I hate what they do now. I don't think, I don't, I don't like what they do, 
but I liked them. Like I got along with them. We had each other's back. It was like a big family. Um, and way closer than the military ever was. And everybody talks about like the brotherhood you feel being in the military. This was, this was way beyond that. Um, and that was the hardest part. Like, I felt like I was letting my people down, like, you know, my, my brothers and sisters that I, that I worked with, I felt like I was letting them down. Um, but I would just kind of like talk shit. I'd like throw little bombs of like, well, man, isn't this fucked up? Wouldn't it be smarter if we just did it like this? Or, you know, when the childhood separation, the, the family separation stuff came around, like I was just, and most people felt the same way. They're like, this is fucking dumb. This is ne- this is not going to make us look good. This isn't going to solve anything. Why are we doing this? Um, but like, yeah, so I mostly just kind of like talked shit here and there. I didn't tell anybody I was leaving until the day before I left. Um, the day, the day before, and <laughs> my family had already moved away, like for a couple of months, I think, oh, yeah, it had been a couple of months. My family moved away. We decided where we were going to go. Uh, I got them moved there and then I stayed and kept working. And it was like, you know, part of it was, well, we wanted to save more money and, and make the transition a little bit easier. And I was looking for work. Part of it was just, fuck, I didn't, to like show up to work and look in the eyes of the people and say, look, I disagree with all of this. I can't do it anymore. I'm not going to do it anymore. And I, and I need to quit. Um, so yeah, basically one day at work, I just gathered the courage, went to one of my supervisors and said, hey, I, I need to know how, how to uh, resign. And the dude's like, well, I'm going to have to do some research because nobody ever quits. So <laughs> I don't know what to do. <laughs> and so by the end of my shift, the next higher up supervisor had called me, said, what is going on? Like, what do you, it, you know, can we talk? You know, they, they basically, were, they, they thought something was wrong. They thought something had happened um, and that I was leaving for some reason. And I said, no, I've been thinking about this for the last year at least I've made my mind up. I want to go. So they said, okay, uh, when do you want to come in tomorrow? We'll, we'll do the paperwork. So the next morning I showed up, brought all my gear, my gun, my badge, and, uh, we processed out. And then just so happened that like, as I was signing out, I'd gotten a call that I had gotten a new job at, you know, making a quarter of what I was previously making. But at least I had a job. So I was, I didn't give a shit. I was happy. Yeah, man, that's awesome. That's uh, yeah, man, it definitely takes a lot of courage, especially when, um, you know, you, like you said, you had planned it out because you were going to retire there. So you already, some people do like day-to-day stamps on what they're going to do, but you had like a 20-year stamp already. Like you were, you, you know, you knew what's up, you know, and then you, so yeah, it's hard to get away from that, especially if like, if like the pay is good and the benefits and all that. So I just I always get so uneasy when people are like, oh, what you did was so brave. I'm like, well, yeah, but you didn't see the two months before that where I was chickening out every day. (laughs) You know, it doesn't feel brave to me. Like, well, but but I did what was the right thing to do for myself. But I drove out of that parking lot knowing that those cells that I used to man were still full of fucking people that probably shouldn't be there. So I was like, well, I, I got myself out, but I, what have I changed? So I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to take compliments like that, but I, I don't feel like what I did was brave because especially since I pushed out for two months prior. <laughs> no, nah, man, that's all right. I mean, if, uh, if, if I'm sure a lot of people think about different things about quitting a lot of things that they'd want to, and they don't, man. So whether it's this or something else, I mean, it's, it's just the way it goes. And, you know, sometimes you just stay in it to, for other reasons, you know, so, but that's cool. You had a family support. It sounded like, so, so, so that's always awesome to have. That's always going to make it easier for sure. So I'm sure your family gets credit for a lot of that too. Your, um, your, oh, my wife your, is yeah. great. Like I was, I was very worried and she was, um, for like five minutes, she was like, but we've done all of this around the career. And I was like, I know that's why this is so hard. And she thought about it and she's like, all right, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. 
That's awesome. Yeah, she sounds like she sounds like a, a ride or die, a ride or die one. So that's cool, man. Yes, she's good. Uh, um, so, like in the intro, I had mentioned that you have a you had written a piece for the 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 Daily Beast, and um, one of the mm-hmm. quotes that you uh you have in there is uh that some of the people that we caught were violent criminals, some were model citizens, and all of them, all of the people who had lost, they basically lost the geographical lottery. So, what is it about the restrictionist hardliners in this country that did win the the lottery, what are they failing to understand about the people that risked their lives to get here? I mean, literally their lives to get here. Um, the, I mean, it, it, it has to spend the, the, the spectrum. I mean, I'm sure there's, a. uh, a contingent of those folks that are just xenophobic and don't like anything that looks different from what they're used to. I, that has to exist. I don't think that's necessarily the majority. Um, I think most people are wrapped up in the narrative of um, the, the Fox news or the even, I mean, even CNN plays the same, you know, fear game that like, oh, it's all going to collapse and it's all going to go down and it's this, it's an invasion and, and these dangerous criminals and the, the caravans and it's all just meant to be fantastical and scary. Um, there's a guy that I met after I quit. He, he retired. Um, his name escapes me at the moment, but he, he, so after he retired from the Border Patrol, he did a master's program and he wrote his thesis on the border threat narrative, basically going over how if you, if all you pay attention to is the news, then it's going to sound very, very, very scary down there. But he outlines with statistics um, that people getting hurt on the border is very, very rare, except for migrants. Like migrants are about the only people that get hurt down there, you know, since 19, what is it, I think 1914, the Border Patrol has lost under 150 people, right about, right about there. So that's, that's pretty, for, for working the most dangerous place in the world on the border with the cartels and the drugs and the scary people, why are more people not being killed if it's so dangerous and so bad down there? Um, now, I'm not going to lie, dude. I worked nights the entire time I was there. So like tracking people's footprints through the brush, like through, you know, basically zero visibility with a flashlight in your hand and a gun. That's a little scary. Yeah. You don't know what's, you don't know what's hiding around the corner. It's scary, but like, I mean, it just doesn't, it, it doesn't result in catastrophe that often as far as the danger is concerned. Um, and as far as like what happens after the migrants get here, I mean, everybody's got an opinion. The center for immigration studies is obviously skewed in one direction and Cato is skewed in another. And, you know, everybody's got their data that backs up their point. My thing is changing your physical location is a nonviolent activity. Same as, smoking weed or even doing big scary heroin or 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 methamphetamines like it hurts no one to do that activity what people are worried about is the things that may possibly happen after the fact so well if you get addicted to drugs you will, then you're going to be forced to steal from people and commit bigger crimes to get your fix that's the that's the 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 line of thinking from that well, if we let people change their physical location, they'll steal our jobs and they'll uh, change our culture. And this, that, that's thought crime. Those are thought crimes. Those are things that haven't happened yet that you're never, scared I, about for whatever reason. I, I never even thought of it like that, man. So it's not just also fear of the others. It's fear of the future with others in it. Like, it's just like, yeah, it's like the thought crime thinking. Yeah, man, I, I never even thought of that. It, it is like that because... um. Uh, you know, there's a local talk radio guy here that basically just does fear stuff, all, you know, the invasion, invasion, invasion. And then he'll post like on Friday, like 
oh, I'm going to go watch a movie with the family and have the great weekend writing or, you know, and then I'll, I'll post like, what happened to the invasion? And then he just blocked me, you know, and I was just trying to be like, you know, hey, if you're going to talk all that, then you should kind of maybe be in line with like, hey, like if there's an invasion, like if there was an invasion and I, yeah, I might not be going out and like, I mean, I might be home getting ready for some shit, but so, but he sells it to it's just part of his, I guess, his show, his business. But they're the, these are the guys that have the the loudest voice. But um, but yeah, they're they're living their lives a different way than what their the rhetoric they're saying. But they have an audience because the I guess they're playing to the audience's fears of the others. But also, I guess, like that future, like they they paint a future where uh, it's scary. You know, instead of like, oh hey, these people that are invading might end up. Uh, one of them might uh, have a kid that might end up marrying your kid and you didn't even, you know, they don't, t- they don't say that. Right. They just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I never, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that's kind of the, and don't get me wrong. Like I get wrapped up in this shit too. Like it's the world, especially right now is pretty crazy. So like, it's, it's really easy to get wrapped up in, well, you know, what if they mandate further and what if they, you know, gun control and th- it's, it's, it's easy to get wrapped up in that shit, but like, when it comes to solving these problems, I personally am not interested in looking at a limited view of the subject. Like, I don't want to know this, this whole thing about like, well, let's embrace tradition. Well, time moves in one direction. You can't go back as much as you'd like to. You can take what you have learned from the past and apply it to the future. But going back is, for one, impossible, but just two, I think, foolish. You can only go forward. That's all we, that's the, it's really the only choice we have. Go forward or stay still, maybe, I guess. But um, so I, I guess I'm interested in people who, who look at possibilities. Like, I don't want to hear from people who say, well, if we do this, then they're just going to take our jobs or they're just going to, like, I thought America was great. If America is great, can't we absorb? Can't we, can't we find a way? Can't we uh, be ingenious and, and, and invent a new way of, of moving forward that can include people who maybe don't look and sound and act like you? Like, what, what, is, the, what is the problem with, okay, well, we can roll so we can allow more people in and we can... Um, roll back some of the regulations to starting a business and then boom, now we've got a bunch of new businesses with a bunch of new people who want to work. I mean, that's not like I dropped out of college. I'm not that fucking smart, dude, but that's not that hard of a, a, of a fix right there. Like that's just one tiny step that can probably do a lot. Ending the drug war. That's another, that's a very tiny step that can do fucking worlds of work to, to making everything a lot better um yeah do we um you know there's nothing against going back to older policy though right i mean i guess i I don't want to speak for you but you know um i uh interviewed uh, a couple months ago alex narasta from the cato institute and he's someone that favors like the immigration policy from like i don't know like way at the start where it was just hey if you didn't have any um diseases or like i guess a record of crime or something like that i mean pretty much they just let you let you in you know and uh so that would be a way of going back but just policy wise maybe right i mean i mean yeah or or, or does that carry some more weight uh, about going back so i i I have to i guess i kind of wear two hats when it comes to this and I, i i like alex a lot like um i i didn't hear about him until after but he and I actually did like a, a talk in DC right after I, I quit. Um, and super intelligent guy. I, I, I just, I really like, I thought he was a cool guy, like a, a, just a really good dude. Um, but I've read a lot of his work and yeah, he makes, he makes a lot of sense. So like the anarchist side of me just would like to see all state apparatus just wash away. Like I, I'd love to see how, a stateless society could shape up and I, I think it would be better, but a lot of people don't. So whatever, that's kind of a a pipe dream for the future. Um, In place of that, if, you know, 
with that not happening, if the state still exists, um, I don't know, just a lot of these arguments fall apart. First of all, nowhere in the Constitution. So the, these people that say, well, we should uh, stick to the Constitution and rule of law and, blah, 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 you know, I've read the Constitution front to back. Nowhere does it say anything about immigration besides um, making a uniform uh, manner of gaining citizenship. So the, the, only, the only stipulation in the Constitution is that the, the, the method for gaining citizenship should be uniform for everybody. Um, so if, if my reading of, if my teaching of the Constitution is correct, then immigration should be a state's right, not a federal right. Uh, but they co-opted that long ago. And so, you know, that's the way things are now. Um, so a lot of people that are arguing for stricter federal immigration enforcement, yet saying that we should follow law are, are making opposing arguments, in my opinion. Um, so so then yeah, I, I would say if, if there's part of something that has existed in the past, um, the problem is like, those and, and Alex is the one that told me this, so I don't think he would mind me saying it, but like back when all of those, you know, like the, the Ellis Island was open, it was really only people because the, you had the Chinese Exclu- Exclusion Act in the late 1800s. So it was basically only Europeans that were allowed in the first place. It wasn't explicitly written that way, I don't think, but like that was, I mean, it was, it was basically just Europeans and mostly Western Europeans that were allowed to, to do that. So if you take the part of of just letting people kind of show up and if you didn't have a good reason to keep them out, let them in, take that part and like throw all of the uh, geographical restrictions away from it, then yeah, I, I, I would say that's better than what we've got for sure. Hey, what's up, everyone? Uh, thanks for uh, checking out the show. Be sure to support our efforts here by checking out palomaverdecbd.com. It is a uh, online store that my wife and I uh, run, and um, you get 25% off by using the promo code Chingasos. And just in case you guys don't know, um, it's not in my nature to be interviewing people like this, but if you like what I'm putting out, just know that I'm on some CBD, you know. I take a gummy about an hour before I know I'm going to do the show, and about 20 minutes before the show, I'll take some drops. Just takes the edge off and then I just get into it. So if that's something that sounds like, oh, in your life, you do some other stuff that might benefit you to take the edge off before you get into some shit, try some CBD products. So uh, go to palomaverdecbd.com, use the promo code Chingasos, get 25% off anything in the store. Peace. Yeah, I, um, you know, from the, from again, from like the Thad Russell uh, narrative that he puts out. And uh, I don't think it's his, it's his original, but it's definitely, he's, he got in it from a lot of places. And it was just that, you know, uh, it, it's mostly like a native versus foreigners kind of issue, right? Because at one point, uh, whether it was the Jews, I guess, or the Italians or the Irish, like whoever was native here would have seen them as the foreigner others coming in again and then once everybody starts assimilating in then those people become the ones that look at so it's always about the natives versus whoever is out there so yeah it might not be that it's um it comes off some way sometimes that way that it's like racial or like you said xenophobic but it's mostly native because because uh you know i don't know did you have um uh latino or hispanic border agent people that work with you i mean that would have oh, yeah. to be okay. So that one right there is a unique one because it's like, hey, you know, you're arresting people that might be your deals, homie, and what's going on with that? But somehow they justified it. Maybe they were already assimilated in. I, I don't know. I mean, how did that one play out? How did they play well, out for them? How did you see it when you? It, it was it was <laughs> it was very strange. So what? Uh, my chiropractor, who I actually started seeing like right about the time that I was having this the transition, the change of, of thought. He's he's born and raised in Matamoros. Um, he he immigrated legally, and his kids were all born here. He thought I was insane. He thought I was crazy. I mean, he didn't like hate me, but like we we talked about it, and he's like, "Dude, I think Trump's great. Fucking, we it's crazy down there. We need to do something." And um, 
the the agent like yeah we were well over half were were um latino agents um yeah it was just <laughs> it's strange uh because like yeah it's not that long ago that you or your family were from there and the, but the vast majority of them there was like uh one or two so if you if you don't speak spanish going into the academy you have to stay a, a, for like a, a spanish crash course and it is there's like one or two like latino dudes that don't didn't grow up speaking everybody else already uh, speaks spanish so it's like some they're of those not dudes. that far removed from immigration themselves yet they're which i don't blame them like it's a great fucking job it pays <laughs> great so the, the thing i was thinking of Cato, I think it was Alex Narasta's done this this thing, and he or no, never mind. I think it was Brian Kaplan. So Brian Kaplan, I think, did this this calculation, and he he estimated that when somebody moves from anywhere else in the world to the United States um, or immigrates, they're like say from Haiti or Mexico or or South America, you know, somewhere uh, a, le- a less developed country, they um, they increased their, their, their wage potential, their wage earning potential by, I think it was like three to five times. Well, that's what I did. The, 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 the highest wage that I made before the border patrol, I made four times that by the time I got my, you know, my, my last promotion. So I was doing exactly what the migrants are, were, were coming to do. I was increasing my my wage, my standard of living, the same way that they were attempting to do theirs, except my job was to keep them out and not allow them to do it. Um, but I, I could almost guarantee because that so the Border Patrol doesn't require a college degree like most uh, federal law enforcement does. So I guarantee most of those dudes didn't have college degrees, didn't have any better prospects than I did. So they were doing the exact same thing as the people that they're trying to keep out as the same thing that I did. Like we're all just trying to get by. My problem was I didn't want to get by on the backs of other people. <laughs> like if I'm going to, if I'm going to make good money, I want to be able to fucking sleep well at night doing it. Yeah. No, no, I hear you. Yeah. So they were just playing the game. I mean, it was they're just, the, the game, yeah. and, and, um, man, you know, I don't know if, uh, if I've ever told you this, but I think I've mentioned it before, but, uh, I live in between, um, or real close to where, like uh, I have a former border patrol agent, uh, Latino guy, and then I live next to uh, immigration lawyers. You know, so I, I live right in the middle. But one time, you know, I partied with the with the. I live right on the border, man. I'm right. I'm the yeah. border between the yeah. two. And, uh, you are the border. <laughs> but I, I unify with the uh, with alcohol. So anyway, that's funny. But we, yeah, the, they invited me to to come over and drink. And yeah, man, I walked into the the man cave and. I saw this big old Migra flag, you know, you know, those colors are, you know, it has the, it says board. And then I started looking around and I was like, Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know. And I was like, Oh man, these like, that's how I told my wife I was like, man, you know, this is immigration. These are all immigration vatos, you know, you could just tell. And like, you, and yeah. And I just stayed up drinking with them and all that. And yeah, I mean, they were the, the way that at the time, uh, and then afterwards, after I thought about it, and at the time too, I understood it because I was saying that, like saying that, like, oh man, you guys are just playing the game, you know, I get it. But they were basically just saying, like, oh man, if we don't get in, it used to just be the good old boys, and they used to be more abusive to to these people than how it is now. So even though, yeah, we know it is the way it is, it was it was worse when we weren't in it. So that's the way they justified it. It might be a good reason. It might not. But that's the way that they saw it. I don't know, you know, because, you know, you still have to. I don't I don't know how cultural it is because I've never hung out with anybody like that. But, yeah, I mean, if I had a one of my primos or something that I, oh, you know, hey, what do you what do you work at now? You know, oh, La Migra. Well, I thought I would think he's playing around. But if he's yeah. not, but I know he's a good, like you said, you know, they're good people, they're family people, all these things. And and they're just playing the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's what it is, right? I mean, uh, but some people, you know, I guess like in your case, the game got a little bit too uh, too much to play it in that way, right? You just would rather play it differently. I, I think that's fair. And, I mean, there, there's an argument that, that to be made that maybe I should have stayed and at least done my part to make sure that, like, 
those who I interacted with and those who were interacting around me, at least I would have some influence in making sure that there was proper treatment. So, um, but quite Oops. honestly, man, I just, Oops. But yes, yes. I didn't even think about no, it like I mean, that. I, but yeah, I, I did what I, what I needed to do. No, no, I'm just playing man. But yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. It was, I mean, it, what, I've always talked about immigration. That's what people are interested in talking about. Immigration is only a, a, a partial factor of why I left. Like, we're going to more, man. Let's talk about the other stuff. I mean, what, well, you know, what do you... So I, I just felt like I was... So, you know, drug war stuff, even back when I was a, a talk radio listener, I thought you, you can't get any fucking dumber than the drug war. Like, if, if the alcohol prohibition of the, what is it, the teens and 20s, if that didn't teach us that what we're doing now is fucking stupid, then I guess we kind of deserve it. But like uh, the way I saw it was federal government and include, especially federal law enforcement was this growing beast that was, so all of this stuff, I mean, it's happening in slow motion, but it's also seems like it's happening quickly. So the um the the requirement to make an arrest for an expedited removal for border patrol you had to do it within uh 14 days of entry within 100 air miles of the border um they've just expanded that to within one year and anywhere in the u.s so a border patrol agent can now go anywhere in the u.s to make a an arrest for immigration i mean this is on paper like they're not actually doing this right now but the precedent is set, like the paperwork is done, the, the regulations have changed. So now Border Patrol agents who are basically restricted to working that 100 mile area around the border are now technically allowed to just kind of roam free should they choose to or should they, you know, should they be given the orders to do so. So just the, the massive growth. So when I came in, I was part of the big push, you know, a few years before the Border Patrol was 10,000 people. And a few years before that, it was 5,000 people. So when I was there, it was 21,000. So this is a massive, massive growth uh, in people who have a fucking badge. And we've seen how, if you think, if you think local police don't answer for what the fuck they do, just wait till you see a federal, federal law enforcement union. I mean, you don't hear about it very often. And when you do hear about it, it gets swept under the rug pretty fucking fast. Like while I was in, there was a serial, well, right after I quit, there was a serial killer border patrol agent. Haven't heard people about that for a while. Uh, there was a dude who duct taped his wife up, drove up and killed his wife's lover. That didn't fucking make the evening news. I doubt um, that was in Texas too. So I don't, if you didn't hear about that, then like, wouldn't that be national fucking news? that a law enforcement agent, a federal agent of the United States government duct taped his wife to a chair, beat the shit out of her and then drove up and killed his wife's lover. Oh man. Sounds like, sounds like a corrido. No, I never heard that one. So, um, I just recognized that like this thing was getting way out of control and it was doing stuff that I wanted no fucking part in. And that, and what all that comes down to is criminalizing nonviolent behavior. If you've hurt no one and you've taken no one's stuff, you didn't do a fucking crime. And I'm not going to, and I'm not going to arrest you for it. So it was, you know, immigration was my specific slice of the pie, but the border patrol culture is they they, they are fucking masturbatory about catching drugs like they all every border patrol agent wishes he was a dea agent i remember mm. we were there was a group oh get, um, get into this a little bit man because uh that this was something i was telling those, those at that party i was saying you know I, I, when i started saying about the game i also kind of was winking at another game i was like hey and also you know if you if you got some good connections you might let the the, the ones that you want to let through that might have the stuff and 
you get and they give you the ones that you I gotta catch. And I was like, I was like, I was like, hey, it's all in the game, right? But they didn't like when I was saying that, I, which I understand. I was all, we we're all drinking. You know, nobody. I'm, I'm kind of lightly saying, hey, you know, you can let the ones, you know, and you know. Anyway, you've got a diplomatic <laughs> way of raising those issues. I know I've, I've known you long enough. <laughs> so is that what kind of what you're getting? It like it, you know, it, so, it, uh, the, it, the specific in, instance I was talking about there was um, so. East of my station, there's another station called Welton. I don't know if, uh, if you've heard of it, the um, the Devil's Highway. There's a, a book that was written a while back about the, it was like, I don't know, like 14 migrants died in the desert, like starved or dehydrated to death. It was, it was a really horrible tragedy. Um, this guy, uh, Luis Urea, I believe, uh, wrote a book about it. So because of that event, they put this camp out in the middle of nowhere. Cause it was like that part of the border. It's like a three day trek to get from the border to the highway. So, I mean, there's a lot of time to play cat and mouse back and forth. So they put this, this little camp out in the middle of nowhere to, to, to try to help, help make sure that, you know, quote unquote, that sort of thing never happens again. So when you go to that camp, you have to stay there for a week. Well, my first time there, I didn't know my way around. So it was kind of hard, like responding to stuff. Well, I was responding to uh, a group of backpackers. So dudes with bundles of weed on their back, tracking through. So they'd caught everybody, but the the guide, like basically the, the, the one that was leading them through the desert, he took off. And I was late to the party, but I was like, hey, guys, you guys already got that wrapped up. Give me the you know direction of travel for the guide and I'll go try to head him off because I was a little bit away already. And they're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just get over here and help us uh, police up the bundles because there's still some that are stashed. I was like, the bundles aren't moving anywhere. You got all the guys. You got oh, this pissed me off. They call them bodies. They're not they don't call them human beings or migrants. Even they're bodies. So I said, you got all the bodies. The bundles aren't going anywhere. Let me know. I'll go. I'll go see if I can cut off the guide because the guide you can you, you know, you can prosecute him for for uh, trafficking at that point, or like you can actually get a decent charge in him. So I was like, yeah, let me, they're like, no, 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 don't worry about it. I'm like, no, just give me the sign. Give me the foot sign, you know, their shoe print so I can track them down. No, 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 don't worry about it. Just come over here. They would not give me the fucking information to go track this guy down. The guy that's actually responsible, the dudes carrying the backpacks, they're just paying their fee. Like that's their fee to get in. They're not, you know, they don't really want to be doing this. So, oh, the ones that don't have the money got to carry the weight. Right, right. Um, so that shit pissed me off. And that was back when I still liked the job. But I mean, you just see stuff like that where it's like. So what were you thinking? It was just they just wanted the drugs or you're saying like. Yeah, well, they, they wanted and they so I, I finally got there. I hiked around because I love hiking. So I went and hiked around because the other guys were tired of looking, found the last bundle tossed it down the mountain to them. They took a picture by the, all the shit. And then we went home or went back to camp. But Who smoked was, all the weed? Huh? Who smoked <laughs> all the weed? It didn't smell that bad either. Just, you know, <laughs> lemon, yeah. But, uh, um, ah, so we, you know, towed it all back and weigh it and then hand it over to the DEA or whatever. But, um, yeah, there just didn't seem to be any kind of, like, I was like, why do you not want to go, at least try to get the guy. Maybe he makes it back to Mexico before I can get to him. But why wouldn't I at least try? You guys have everything wrapped up there. Um, but yeah, there was just this all over the place. There's just pictures of people standing by bundles. And I'm like, the drugs aren't hurting anybody. If anybody's getting hurt, it's by the people that's bringing the drugs. But probably not even that. You know, <laughs> the drugs aren't fucking hurting anybody. Why are you guys so obsessed with with, you know, putting your hands on these drugs to take them away. Like, I just did not understand. And in fact, I brought all this up to one of my, my watch commander once. I was like, you know, we're wasting so much fucking time and money. And he just looked at me like I was insane. <laughs> like, yeah. In what in, the badge saying that we should stop stop enforcing drug laws. Yeah. And you said it earlier, man. And, uh, and this would be kind of a, a good transition into like you said that some people are just wrapped up in the narratives and 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 when people are wrapped up in the narratives they're playing roles within those narratives and when they're playing roles in their those narratives that means that they don't have to write their own story of their life they're just 
okay being characters and and the bigger narratives that people assign them to um and that's okay i mean some people grow like that and i know a lot of people like that and that's you know i mean it's okay it's so it's it's you know you need all kinds of people and there's probably more of those people but um kind of to change a little bit um uh you are uh uh, uh you were a writer you wrote some pieces on the on, on some on some publications but you're currently writing your own story uh almost like you know when you do these interviews you're telling your story but now you're going to put some other type of uh, stories uh, to, uh, you know, some pen to paper. Uh, how is uh, the the writing process, the whole, you know, how is that part of it, uh, you know, that as a passion, when did you realize that it was going to be a passion that you're trying to get into? Can you kind of get into that a little bit? Yeah. So, um, I mean, since as long as I can remember, I've been artistic. Like I, you know, just, I love to draw, um, as a kid, but I think every kid does, but I just never grew out of it. Like all the way through school, I was always drawing, always in art classes. Um, and I actually hated reading. I fucking hated reading. Um, and I learned later in life that that was just a, a case of like, I didn't like what was being assigned to me. Cause once I found stuff that I liked reading, I couldn't fucking stop. I could not, you know, like once I, it's like the can of Pringles. Once you pop, like, once I found out that there was like actually interesting things to read, I was hooked. I, I just, I, I started devouring the, the bad parts that I was, you know, because I spent my whole time in school. Um, so I was like, I was always in gifted classes too, but I never read the books. I just like skimmed enough to write a paper and they're like, Oh, this is great. You're gifted. <laughs> like you guys are fucking dumb. Cause I'm just <laughs> cheating. Um, but, uh, so like one, you know, basically I think it was my junior year. I finally finished a book and, um, reading a book. And then my senior year, I took like a college class while I was still in, in high school. And like the, the valedictorian and all her friends were in that class. And I got the highest grade on the, 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 the final exam was an essay. And I got the highest grade and my instructor told me like, you know, when you actually like put some effort into it, you're, you're pretty good at this. Um, and I was like, well, thanks. I'm going to the army. See you later. Uh, so it, it just, it just kind of laid dormant for a while. Uh, I didn't really do anything with it. I, I always carried a notebook around and would like write little poems and thoughts and, and stuff like that. But I just never really tackled any serious projects. Uh, then in Afghanistan, this is kind of a long story, so I'll try to breeze through it. But basically, I ended up at this outpost with a different unit than the one I was used to um, operating with. and. They the platoon sergeant for the the new unit basically just said like dude you're not part of our battle plan so if anything happens just go to the bunker so that you don't like get mistaken for enemy or whatever and like that night we got attacked <laughs> and so I fucking went to the bunker like I was told which you know any soldier that like that's worth his weight doesn't want to be in the bunker they want to be out on the fucking line putting rounds down but I you know I'm like whatever makes sense. So I'm sitting in the bunker and like shit's blowing up and people are shooting. And I'm like, you know, it's the middle of the night. So it's pitch dark in the fucking bunker. So I'm sitting there in the pit, in the black darkness, like thinking like, well, what if something fucking blows up right near the entrance to this bunker or like something lands on top and it caves in on top of me? Like what, you know, it's not like this is necessarily a, a fail safe just sitting here. So I'm starting to think like, well, what happens if I die and whatever? And I thought, like literally the thought that came into my mind was like, I wish I would have taken writing more seriously. I wish I would have written books. Um, so after like, and I say attack, like they just fucked with us. Like it's, it wasn't like a coordinated, like, you know, band of brothers type shit. It was like, they'd fucking shoot some rockets at us and basically run off. So it was, it was like harassment. Um, I mean, it, it'll still fuck you up if you're in the wrong place, but like, I, I don't want it to sound like some harrowing adventure or anything like that. Like, so after the attack was cleared, I went back to my cot in the tent and busted out my computer and started writing. <laughs> and like, that was pretty much it. Like I've 
been working on crafting stories ever since then. Uh, I wrote a novel while I was in my last few years in the couple years in the Border Patrol. Uh, and then once once I got out, I was planning on trying to publish the novel. And while I was like revising it, I was like, I'm not as good of a writer as I thought I was. <laughs> like, I, I just had this kind of realization that I wasn't like, you know, the ideas are there, but the execution was lacking. So I put my, I put the novel away and I just started writing short stories. Um, and so, you know, that's what I've been doing for the last few years is just writing as many short stories as I could. And I basically got to a point where I had, I think I had six and I was going to try to work with that, but then I thought it was, I don't know. I just, I've, I'm, I'm always constantly changing, but I've, I've added a couple. So I've got eight short stories and eight poems right now that as soon as I can get, I mean, I'm, there's really only one that's kind of giving me trouble right now as far as revising is going. And I think, Basically, once I can get that one to where I'm more or less happy with it, uh, I'm, I'll pull the trigger and, and just send it off for for publication. Um, and it's it's self-publishing, so it'll just be based on like, you know, if I can get any kind of pre-orders, then I guess they'll do like a first run and whatever, and I'll pay a port, I'll pay that, and then however it works. It's I'm I'm figuring it out out as I go. Literally, yeah, man, that's all right. Yeah, that's that's cool. And uh. And I'm sure your family's supportive, right? So it's yeah, all it's yeah. all with good vibes and all that. So yeah, man. Um, I want to respect uh, your time and all that. And I'd like to say that, uh, man, it was uh, it was uh, it was fun talking to you in this way. Um, and uh, you know, um, uh, I want to say that also that I I hope you you put your work out there because uh, I'm not a good reader, but uh, you know, I I definitely want to read what you put out. You know, and uh, especially when you um you know, interact more often, you want to, you're invested in making sure that the people that you're interacting with and getting value from are, uh, you want you want to be supportive of that. So I would definitely want to support your efforts. And, and if whenever you uh, put it out there, I, I definitely want to get you back on the show. So we can, uh, you know, help you promote it. You know, I'm just barely starting this podcast cool. too. So I'm just starting to yeah, know, dude, do my thing, but, but um, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, man, you have any uh, way that if somebody wanted to reach out to you for, anything man of uh if, if it was an immigration stuff or maybe somebody that's on the fence about doing something that they need a little bit of encourage anything a way some people some people can reach you at and then also um any uh parting thoughts um oh just kind of like what, what you you said something that reminded me like part of my motivation for for writing these stories is like i would at least you know at least do i'd like to do my part for like to create stories for people that don't like to read. <laughs> like I want to write stuff that is going to, cause I'm not, I'm not formally trained in anything. You know, I took English one and two in college and like, that's as far as I went. So I'm not formally trained. I'm winging this um, self-taught. So I'm trying to write stories and books for people who may not like to read. Hopefully well, that's, people that's that do like to read, We'll enjoy them too, but like you're you're kind of my target audience, Carlos. So um, yeah, maybe I should I'll send them over, and you can tell me what you think. Yeah, but, but just uh, don't forget to put some of that uh, gringo Spanish in them, man. So you could. Uh, so I could oh <laughs> man, are you you're going to be a Lockhart, right? Yeah. So yeah, you'll you can you'll I'm not going to do it here for the podcast, but you'll be able to. I'll, I'm sure I'll break out some of my Border Patrol Spanish for you. Oh so. man, that, oh, that sounds awesome. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure if we. If we got a little bit of drinks in us, maybe we'll, it'll, 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 it'll sound better. Yeah. It'll, oh yeah. Yeah. It always sounds better when you're drunk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As far as reaching me, uh, Twitter, uh, at Josh D Childress, C H I L D R E S S. Um, that's really my only social media. I, I, I had a website a, a couple years ago and I let it expire. So I think once the book's a little closer to a reality, I'll, I'll, start a website up again and, and that'll be linked through my, my Twitter, but Twitter is just probably the easiest place to, to interact with me. If anybody's so interested. Yeah. Fair enough, man. Okay. Uh, thanks Josh uh, for uh, hanging out and uh, hopefully uh, we can get you back on soon and uh, good luck with, uh, with all the stuff you got going on, man. Thanks Carlos. Thanks for having me, man. Peace. Peace.